Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome, everybody, to Fine Margins, your daily show for World Cup betting content and reactions powered by the Betfred Sportsbook. Make sure you've signed up to Betfred Sportsbook for your betting needs over the course of the World Cup. And we have a loaded episode for you guys today on this channel, which is the Fine Margins YouTube channel. Make sure you are subscribed there. Drop a like if you're watching. And you can also catch this live stream on Twitter at Fine Margins with two S's. Make sure you have followed us over there. But like I said, loaded episode. First time we have gone live since Friday. And since then, there have been 12 matches. We're going to do our best to cover all 12 of those as best as possible. Just looking for the best storylines of those 12 matches from the weekend. And of course, from today before. Going into the fixture list for tomorrow. Four matches on the cards. Two at a time. And it's time for teams to, to book their ticket into the next round and for some other teams to pack their bags and go home. So lots to discuss to do that. We have Alex Moreto and also Paul rejoining us for today. We have great insight from both of these two on the way. And I'd like to say from myself as well, maybe not for my betting on the weekend, which wasn't very good. We'll flip it over to Paul first of all. How was your betting from the weekend slate? It's not been a good weekend for myself either, to be perfectly honest, mate. <laughs> um, yeah, I just the matches just didn't seem to go the way I expected them. I, I had obviously my preconceived notions of who, who I thought was going to win every group. So when yeah. you get any match day two, you kind of need to back up those notions with who you think is going to win the games. And unfortunately, a lot of teams have let me down. Um, but yeah, we go again, as, as we always do. <laughs> Yeah, and Alex, we'll go over to you. Uh, any thoughts from your betting on the weekend and from today? Um, Saturday, Saturday was a bit of a, a rough one with uh, with Tunisia losing to Australia in that first opening match. I was really impressed with France. Um, I was a little bit more down on them coming into the tournament. Didn't have like full reason to be. I guess you know maybe just a little bit too much of a cynic, but uh, they completely proven me wrong. This team is very much in contention once again. Sunday was a lot better for me. It was nice to see Morocco come through. Uh, I had that, and I had I expected goals in the Canada Croatia match, so that was good. And then with Japan dropping that opening game to uh, Costa Rica, the first game of the day, um, you kind of had that sense that a draw would suit Germany and Spain really well. So I hopped on that. So that that kind of that kind of salvaged the weekend after a bit of, of a rougher Saturday. So you do tweet out your picks, and uh, it's always interesting to me when you find the exact same angle that I do because I also had a draw in that one. That was one of the few that did win from the weekend. I had a draw in the Spain Germany game. <laughs> I think for it looked like it could have lost, even though Germany scored late. It could have. It looked like Lira Sane could have uh, made that a losing bet. Uh, another one that ended late for me. I was also on the Denmark plus point seven five where. And Bobby scores late, but yeah. plenty of opportunity this week in the big fixtures. The, this is where there's you can really play with the narratives, teams needing specific results, and we'll obviously get to that. But let's just go through all of the matches that we had from the weekend and just discuss a little bit 
any specific storylines or any specific narratives that we picked up and that we want to discuss, we'll go over to Paul, first of all, for the Saturday slate, where we had Australia winning 1-0 early in the morning against Tunisia, Poland winning 2-0 against Saudi Arabia, one where the, the Saudis looked actually quite good, in my opinion, and maybe didn't deserve to lose. France beating Denmark, and the big one, Argentina, not playing like a team that should have won that game, I don't think, but Mexico were also quite poor, and they win 2-0. So, Paul, your thoughts on the Saturday slate? Yeah, I'm I'm almost embarrassed at this point that I've still got Argentina as, an, as a running outright bet because <laughs> yeah. there's absolutely nothing to suggest from anything they're producing in this tournament that they should be a runner to go and win this thing. I mean, yeah. That first forty-five minutes on Saturday. I mean, I thought I thought England USA was bad on on Friday, but I would have happily have taken a rerun of that instead of the first forty-five of that Argentina game again. It was abysmal, and teams can play badly in tournaments, right? We get that; it happens all the time. But what was a lot more worrying for me was just the structure of the, the build-up from 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 Argentina. It was bouncing from Martinez to Otamendi to the wide positions, and then back across the carousel of defenders. But nobody dropping in to pick up the ball and turn. And it happened constantly. And the only time anybody actually looked like penetrating a run forward was when maybe Di Maria once or twice was able to drop the shoulder and come inside. But other than that, until Messi put that ball in the corner of the net, there was not a chance in a million years that Argentina were going to score. And some, I saw somebody make a, quite a good comment on, online that... <clears throat> Is it possible for a World Cup winner to go from so many lows and highs within the same tournament, um, irrespective of how they're playing? And even though Messi was euphoric after it and there was loads of dressing room celebrations and stuff like that, I'm just not convinced that for the first half an hour of this Poland game in a couple of days, they will play exactly the same again. And I'll be watching exactly the same Argentina, pass the ball in exactly the same way, not get Messi on the ball and just lack any penetration. So, So, yeah, it was like... I was happy because my bet's still, still a runner, but at the same time, I'm thinking, people must think I'm a total betting mug putting this team up because <laughs> in comparison to Brazil or France, they look light years away from them in terms of quality. Hey, you well, definitely weren't the only one on Argentina. Yeah, I know, I know. So, you know. <laughs> I, I didn't put any money on Argentina, but they were my pick to win the tournament going in. And well, again, that entire Argentina game, it took two individual brilliant moments, specifically from Messi, which, I mean, it's Lionel Messi, when you have him on your team, he can do that to get the win, which is what they need. I'm just kind of thinking back to the previous World Cup winning teams in the last, let's say, 20 years or so, and how many have, like, looked bad and still gone on to win. France were pretty dominant throughout, I felt, when they won the previous, uh, the previous edition of the tournament. Germany looked really good all throughout the 2014 campaign. Same with Spain. Brazil, 2002 as well. The only one, Italy in, in 2006... That's the first World Cup I can remember. I was six years old at the time, but uh, they beat Ghana 2-0 in in their opening game. Not as convincing. They drew USA in the second match and then beat Czech Republic 2-0 in the third. Maybe not the most convincing there, but then they get an easier run beating Australia, Ukraine on the way to Germany in the semi. So it can still work for you. As long as you're producing results, anything can happen on any given day. So we'll give that to Argentina. Anything specific from you, Alex, on Saturday you want to discuss? Um, I just want to say I had Brazil winning the tournament, just a little humble brag there. So, <laughs> but, um, but no, from Saturday, I think uh, Argentina was covered very well by, uh, by both you guys. So I'll pivot instead to uh, Mexico and Saudi Arabia, because there's a bit of a battle for 
likely for second in this group. And depending on if Argentina, you know, bottle it or not, but I'm just haven't been impressed with Mexico's ability to create anything whatsoever. Um, Saudi Arabia have been very impressive, even against Poland, you know, they gave up some chances, but they still defend very well as a team. They get forward in numbers and they're pretty dangerous on the attack. Uh, we saw them very unlucky to not to get a couple of goals in that game. I think that they're going to give Mexico a very hard time. And I think there's, they're very live here because Poland, I mean, we see, we know Argentina have struggled, but Poland, Poland have a good choke job in them all the time. And, uh, and, you know, there's a, there's a very real possibility that they lose this pretty big and, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Saudi Arabia who sneaks in over them because Mexico have looked pretty dire like we kind of expected. And I think that that's that's very open right now for Saudi Arabia to come through that group. Yeah, I agree. I think that's really interesting. Uh, comment brought up here is that Spain lost their first game, the 2010 World Cup. That is true, although I will say it was against a pretty good Switzerland team. And I don't think Spain looked that poorly. That, from what I remember, that was 2010 and I was 10 years old. But I don't think I didn't think Spain looked that that poor in that game and from that point on it was just utter dominance from that tournament at least that's what I felt from Saturday I think definitely Saudi Arabia to qualify is live they I don't think they'll need to get a win necessarily to get out of the group so they look good I, I I think that's if it wasn't for that mistake on the second goal they really could have gotten a point out of Poland that may have been all they would have required but let's move into the Sunday fixture list and I was saying to Alex and Paul before the show began how I, I, I don't wake up for the 5 a.m. games because it's just too much for me. But every every day I wake up around 7.30 and go, what the hell happened when I see the results? Because you had Australia beat Tunisia, which surprised me. And then you have Costa Rica beating Japan 1-0. And we have been all very down on Costa Rica. But they get the win after Japan beats Germany. Like, like we were saying, anything can happen at the World Cup. Along with that, Morocco beat Belgium 2-0. I'm not as shocked about that one as maybe other people are, and I'm sure you two would agree, especially Alex. Croatia dumps on Canada 4-1, and then the, for me and Alex at least, expected 1-1 draw between Spain and Germany. So we'll go over to Paul again. Uh, biggest narratives you want to pick up from the Sunday fixture list? Yeah, I'm, I'm keen to <clears throat> ruin Costa Rica on that one for, for ruining what was potentially maybe the game of the group stages in Spain and Germany, because the fact that Costa Rica won that game meant that the Germans could settle for the draw, knowing yeah. that all they need to do is outscore them in the next game and they're through. Whereas if Japan had won that game, it was everything was on last night, so it would have been much more interesting. <clears throat> I think I saw that this mad stat that um, I think Costa Rica only touched the ball inside the area twice in 90 minutes and managed to win the game. I think that's the only time it's ever happened in World Cup history which kind of showed you how wow. that game went down. Um, but for me, the absolute highlight was Morocco. Um, <clears throat> that Belgium team is a total mess. Yeah. An absolute mess. And it's not just uh, it's not just the old heads. Um, it's tactically, they slowed the game down so much that it was borderline testimonial stuff at times. Um, I don't really know what they were trying to do. Um, and that's before you get to the old guys like, for a for a, a re, I made a, a wrestling comparison with my mates. If you remember, TNA Total Nonstop Wrestling came in like 2004 and took all the old WWE veterans. That's what that Belgium team looks like <laughs> just now. Like Bertolmin <laughs> and Alderweireld uh, are like the Bushwhackers or something. You know I mean? <laughs> There's just no way that these guys should still playing at this level. Um, and it, it's showing because they were playing against a team that's full of full of energy, full of vibrancy. Um, managed to do as we said on the podcast last week. If they could get 
um, some guys actually finishing and scoring goals, they, they, they could be a threat and they, they did that in this case. And um, I think they'll be a welcome addition to the to the round of 16, which is hope they can get there. And um, that was for me the big one, but I would not be su- surprised to see Belgium crash out altogether and Croatia put them to the sword. Oh, and the way Croatia looked against Canada, I think, I mean, granted, it is just, just Canada, as sad as it is to say. Croatia absolutely dominated Canada, something Belgium could not do. I, I, Alex said before the tournament that Belgians get out of this group, and based on that, I agree. Morocco thoroughly outplayed them. Canada thoroughly outplayed them, and I felt Belgium, we all feel Belgium were, were extremely fortunate to take three points off Canada, the only thing really keeping them alive in this group. So let's switch over to Alex now. Any big stories? I know you're a big fan of Morocco as well, but maybe anything else you want to touch on from that day? Yeah, I mean, just to Paul's point also about Belgium, um, I mean, Roberto Martinez has shown this over the course of his managerial career with Belgium that he just has no ability or willingness to change his approach whatsoever. It's sort of like when things aren't going well, he's just going to stick to what they're doing and hope that, you know, one of their world-class players just steps up and produces a moment of brilliance. That's basically all he relies on. I don't think he's got the ability to make any adjustments whatsoever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm sitting on Belgium at plus 550 not to get out of the group. So I hope that Croatia can take care of business there. And I've got uh, Morocco at 10 to 1 to win the group. So we're in a decent position in that one. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of the other, any other takeaways, um, I thought Germany have, I mean, the results haven't been great for them, but I think they've been fairly impressive considering like they've won the expected goals in both games by a decent margin and you know they could have had they had obviously the offside goal by Rudiger uh called back they had a couple other chances to take the lead early and then after they tied it late they had a chance to win the game as well so you know I mean I think the goals are going to come for them at one point and as down as people have sort of been on this team I think we're sleeping on them a little bit because they have been altogether a little bit impressive and you know they're not going to get the easiest draw going into the I mean they're going to face likely a, a Croatia or Morocco. So like, it's going to be a winnable fixture for them. And then after that, who knows? Right. So I think they're, you know, they're definitely going to be Costa Rica to get out of this group. And then, I mean, they, they're in position to make a decent run, even though everyone seems to be sort of down on them right now. Yeah. I thought the subs were great. Full crew came in, gave them a proper number nine presence, which I, I, you'd be hard pressed to convince me not to start him. If I was the German manager, Hansi Flick for the next game, I, I just thought he brought yeah. what they needed there rather than, I believe it was Kai Havertz who started up top again, correct me if I'm wrong. And Sané came in and also affected the game. So just big players who can affect the game in big ways, even against a team such as Spain, who have been obviously quite impressive to start the tournament. As far as Belgium, I just want to touch them further. I'm not sure what's given Eden Hazard just the cop-out to start both these games. He's looked extraordinarily poor. He looks like he's not even match-fit. I, I get that, obviously, the history of the player with, with the national team and the captaincy and all that, but he's done absolutely nothing. And I think forcing him into the left wing role is forcing you to play Kevin De Bruyne in the side of a front three when he's arguably, I would make a case he's the best player in the world, and you're barely getting him on ball in dangerous positions. So I think it's just a complete and utter waste of talent having De Bruyne in that position and a tactical failure by Roberto Martinez for not being able to maximize as player as gifted as De Bruyne. But uh, Jacob, how many how many guys are like that at this tournament now? We've got Hazard, we had Atiba Hutchinson, 
Gareth Bale, yeah. Cristiano Ronaldo. I mean, these guys are just being grandfathered these starts right now, and it's costing their teams. Yeah, well, Hutchinson. Yeah, yeah. Hutchinson was a, a, obviously a disaster against Croatia. He would have come and come off at half if Estacio, yeah. I'm assuming, wasn't injured. Mm-hmm. He probably still should have come off, and Canada paid the price in that third goal. Uh, I, I think because we're Canadian, I think we we owe it to people to at least just touch on Canada. Uh, I'll, I'll do my best here. Hutchinson was 39 and looked every bit of it, if not older, maybe in his 50s there. Just too old to compete with such a talented Croatian midfield. We'll have our moment. Alfonso Davies, the first ever goal by a Canadian at a World Cup. So we will take that. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed that moment. But Croatia was a better team, and they imposed their dominance from the 25th minute onwards when they made the tactical switches necessary. They got the ball into the front man. They, they punished Canadian mistakes like CONCACAF teams couldn't in qualifying. That third goal, my goodness, how, like, Cramerich is, is wide open back post and nobody's even in his area code. That was very frustrating to see. But Canada will learn from this, as will Herdman, tactically. And uh, they're back in 2026. And they have uh, maybe a chance to ruin Alex's Morocco ticket uh, if they can pull a result out <laughs> in do. this week's fixtures. So let's move into the Monday Today, some some high-scoring games and some lower-scoring games, but I found they were quite entertaining, especially the Brazil one, even though it was 1-0. Let's just briefly go through uh, same sort of thoughts. Anything big from today that you picked on picked up on, Paul? <clears throat> I'm simultaneously annoyed and not annoyed at the Serbia game because I didn't place a, a pre-match bet, but around about 40 minutes and running, I was going to be all about Serbia at halftime. Um, and then they went 2-1 up, and I was really annoyed. And then they went 3-1 <laughs> up, and I was even more annoyed. And then it went 3 each, and I didn't actually lose the ticket. So I'm simultaneously annoyed at Serbia for somehow throwing that game away, but kind of glad that I didn't get on when I when I thought they could turn the game around. Um, just I, I take Alex's point earlier about kind of the, there was uh, an in-match injury for, for Serbia that, that kind of turned the tide of that one a little bit. But having said that, some of the defending for the, 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 the late goals and Abubakar's runs was um, was absolutely criminal and not what would I, I would expect from a from a usually such, such a disciplined um, Serbia side. So they're kind of up against it right now and it, and it sets up obviously the showdown against Switzerland. Um, winner takes all on that one, which would be a really good, really good match. But yeah, I'd, I'd be concerned because they looked excellent going forward and Mitrovic could have had a hat-trick or more. Um, but yeah, those goals at the end, I'd be, I'd be really concerned about those. And Alex, you spoke about an injury that likely affected conceding both those goals. You want to touch on that here as well? Yeah, I mean, like Serbia were up 3-1, right? And they were in complete control of this game. And Pavlovic goes down, who was having an incredible tournament. He was a real bright spot against uh, Brazil as well in a game that they really didn't do too much. I thought he was excellent. He obviously scores the goal that pulls them back into the game to tie it at 1-1. You know, he's tracking those runs. He's got a lot of pace at the back, and he's very physical. And then... He goes down. They bring on the much older and slower Stefan Mitrovic to play left center back. And then all those runs that lead to those goals are coming down the, the right flank for Cameroon or the left side of the Serbia defense. So it all kind of went haywire, haywire for them after he goes down. I think that they were in position to kind of run away with this one, maybe win like 4-1, 5-1 if he doesn't get injured. So I think that really just changed the complexity. And you're not looking you know, to make excuses for Serbia, uh, obviously like, we took big positions on Serbia to uh, to go through in this group, and that's looking quite precarious right now. But I think they were pretty unlucky there. 
In terms of their match against Switzerland now, it's going to be really tough. I, Switzerland don't offer the most going forward. It's been two matches now where they really haven't threatened goal all that much. So I think that, you know, defensively, Serbia should be okay. Again, if Pavlovic starts, if he doesn't start, you're a bit concerned there because they're going to have to press on. There are going to be gaps left. But, I mean, Serbia are just such a compact and disciplined side that it's going to be really difficult for Serbia to break them down. I'm very interested to see if Vlahovic does play a part here. I know he was nursing a little bit of an injury. Um, I know Kostic was too. That's why he didn't start the first match. So, I mean, if you're looking to place a wager on that game, and I know we'll get to it again later in the week, but you're going to have to see team news before you, you know, you're willing to put anything into Serbia here. Because if Pavlovic isn't playing and, you know, if Vlahovic isn't able to go, I just don't see how you can back them to, uh, to get the result they need in that final game. Yeah, Serbia, obviously, missing out on the three points here is crucial going to the final game because Switzerland can be so stubborn at the back and Switzerland don't have to win this game to go through, uh, assuming Brazil do their job against Cameroon. I think the expectation is they will be able to do that. But let's move on to that Switzerland, maybe stubborn back line. They lose 1-0 on a late goal uh, by Casemiro, brilliantly taken by the Brazilian team. It got deflected, but the buildup was was excellent. Oh, yeah. Full showcase of Brazil's talent. Uh, feel free to, to say no. I, I wouldn't agree necessarily with this comment I'm about to make, but Brazil winning 1-0 and 2-0. Dominating the whole game, probably should have scored more goals in both those games. But is that a concern when they maybe go up against higher quality opposition deeper in the tournament that they've struggled to get those clear cut goals, goal scoring chances out of these two? Let's go. Let's go to Paul first of all for that one. Yeah, not for me. Um, I think they faced two teams that were very happy to sit in and try and absorb pressure. And when you get to the last stage of the tournament, if they for example, if they end up going Spain in the quarterfinals, a team that's going to be heavily possession dominant, it's not the, the game's just not going to set it up in the same way. And in fact, it could massively favour Brazil um, if the game stretches or becomes a counter-attack um, battle with, this, with the pace they've got. So yeah, I, I, in fact, I would nudge the other way that if they end up playing like a, a lesser nation in the knockouts that wants to play like this, and I'm thinking maybe Uruguay. I mean, we'll get to Uruguay in a minute. If Uruguay sneak through, they might want to just batten down the hatches. Um, I, I'd actually be more encouraged by the fact that Brazil were able to break down both of these teams without without playing sparkling football, although they did play well in the second half against Serbia. They were able to win the game and get it done and make the changes required to, to, to get it done. So, um, And they're likely to have Neymar coming back, hopefully, for the knockouts as well. So I actually see it as a positive that they got these games over the line. And also the fact that the defence the defense not only isn't conceding goals, it's not even conceding chances, really. Um I can't really think of anything that Switzerland had today that was a, a real open opportunity. And certainly, I think Serbia had maybe one or two half chances in the last game, but nothing nothing really of note. So, yeah, if anything, those results modify the position, I think, of, of, of Brazil as, as the proper favourites for this tournament. I, I probably I agree with that on Brazil. I wouldn't draw too much stake into the goals. Alex, are you kind of on the same page as us? Yeah, and, and the other thing is that Brazil have yet to, not even chances, they haven't even allowed a shot on target yet through two matches, which is the second team in World Cup history to not allow a shot on target through their first two group matches. So, I mean, hey, you know what? Maybe the finishing hasn't quite been there. I do agree that it will come. The, Paul brought up a point that I was going to mention too, though. If Uruguay do manage to sneak through and get out of this group, finish second, it's kind of a nightmare matchup for Brazil, just in the sense that there's the familiarity there as well. So, you know, they kind of know how to play them. They know how to take that on. They're going to be really combative. It's going to be a physical game. That's a, a little bit of a banana peel sort of fixture for them where, like, you know, you, maybe you can see, okay, you get through that one and you're talking about them them making that deep run. 
So we'll move into the other group here. And if you are an old school poaching striker like Paul is, I think you will have loved this Ghana South Korea game because the delivery into the box for the forwards was absolutely outstanding, I think, for four, maybe all five of these goals, especially the the first Kudus goal. That cross, there's no deep as as good as Korea's defense is at, at staying together and being organized. I don't think any defense in the world stops that wonder delivery. Ghana win 3-2 against Korea. Two, the, both Korean goals were monster headers as well, which were very enjoyable to see. Uh, what were the thoughts on this one? This was a bit of a surprise in terms of the scoreline. I wouldn't say that, like Ghana winning isn't necessarily shocking, but five goals in this one. Paul, what were your thoughts? Yeah, just a really enjoyable game. Uh, not not yeah. one I was expecting, actually. Um, yeah. But we were treated to a real festival of goals today. And yeah, some great finishing, some great heading. I, I always like to try and pick fault. I think, particularly on the Korean second goal, the goalkeeper's got to come out for that, in my opinion. It's, it's landing pretty much on the six-yard box, and it's, it's a looping cross. He's got time to get out to it. Both centre-backs, D- Daniel Amarty, bless him. I'm not a huge fan. Let's just leave it at that. Just <laughs> when looking at each other as the ball lands behind them, really bad defending. But it's, it's, it's refreshing to see bad defending sometimes because it gives us, gives us a spectacle like that. And... I was right with that game right to the end, all the way through 10 minutes injury time. It was really good and Korean going for it and the kind of dejected look on the faces of, of guys like Son as well when they couldn't get it, get it done in the end. Yeah, great stuff. And I kind of wish we had more games like that. We've, we've had a lot less like that in this tournament than we've maybe had in previous ones. And it was it was good to see that the tournament can still produce that. Yeah, first Korea goal, I, I believe it was Salasu who probably could have done yeah. better with the header. Second one easily probably should clear it i guess they were both very well taken by korea for both goals but defender probably deal with it anyways it produced a great match uh quickly both of you uh anthony taylor british referee ends the game on a corner kind of robs of uh, robs of excuse me robs us of potentially uh, the tying goal how do you feel about ending games on a corner i like can you not wait 20 more seconds what do you guys think it's such a subjective thing. I mean, you don't love it, but like the game had already kind of gone on for another minute over uh, injury time. You, you know, results in a goal. Like, how does that, like, I mean, if you're Ghana, you're losing your minds at that point too, right? Like, it's kind of like, obviously South Korea are going to be upset, but like either way, you're going to have someone upset in this situation. So as someone who had Ghana draw no bet, thought it was a great decision by the referee. Absolutely <laughs> support that all the way through. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts are on that though, Paul. I don't know if you guys are, are too, you almost certainly too young to remember this, but English referee at the 1978 World Cup called Clive Thomas blew for full time when the corner was in the air coming into the box um, <laughs> when, when Sweden were drawing one each with uh, with Brazil. And I think it was Zico headed it in the net. And you can see him like blowing for a uh, full time whistle when the ball was landing on Zico's head. Cra- crazy. So not quite as bad as that, but by the same token, <laughs> Korea, we put we had eleven minutes injury time, guys. Do you know what I mean? Like get it done in eleven minutes. Yeah, so fair enough. Fair yeah, enough. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, All right, fair, fair enough. Korea were I, I, the the defense was slightly disappointing for me overall, but again, uh, the delivery on on a lot of these crosses were something that was just very impressive for me to see. Going into the last match, Uruguay got the loss here against Portugal. I had Uruguay on the double chance. I had them plus point five. Honestly, I felt like the way the game went, that easily could have landed. I think we spoke about, I don't know, Paul, I'm not sure if you were on here when we spoke about Uruguay tactically from the first match. I believe you were. Yeah. But 
we I mentioned that they need to maximize the wing spaces to deliver balls into the box. They need to get Darwin Nunez in the middle. And the fact that they were able to do both of those things while also keeping that midfield three all central in Benton Curvicino and uh, Valverde, I thought tactically they got this one pretty spot on. And they were threatening. Benton Coeur had a really good opportunity. I believe it was him who slipped through in the first half and almost squeezed it through the goalkeeper's <laughs> legs. Yeah. In the end, Portugal just managed with their chances. I think they were the better team and probably you could say they deserve to win the match. So interesting there. But Uruguay, one point after two matches, playing against Ghana, who do not need to win this final match. Uruguay, no goals. They got their first shot on target at least today. Do you see Uruguay fans being fearful going into this final match, Paul? Yeah, I mean, I was a bit of a backer for Uruguay to potentially do something in this group, despite the fact that we had, both Alex and I had our reservations about this team being stuck in between two generations. Um, I still thought that they would have enough quality to be better, frankly, than they have been in, in these two games so far. Um, the, the, the problem is that none of the forwards are playing well, like they're mixing it up in every every conceivable way, bringing on starting Cavani tonight instead of Suarez and bringing him on, starting Nunes again, taking him off, putting Gomez through the middle, trying trying basically every conceivable selection, and it's it's just not really working for them. That being said, for the twenty minutes after uh, Bruno Fernandez, not Ronaldo scored. I mean, <laughs> Bruno Fernandez scored um, for that twenty minute spell. I thought they looked really good. I thought they were creating good chances. Like Gomez at the post. Dereshetta has that terrible effort that, that's kind of uh, saved very easily. Um, and it makes me wonder why they don't set up a bit more aggressively and on the front foot a bit more often. I mean, it's, it's, it's within Uruguay's psyche to be cynical and defend first. It has been for 100 years, right? So they're not really going to change it. But so when you look at that, you just think, if we were to set up in an offensive manner, could we actually go and beat teams? And it, like, I'd like to see them do that, at least in the final group game. Have a go against Ghana because... Ghana, certainly not one of the best defensive units we've seen in this tournament. So if they go and be aggressive against them, I think they can get the win they need to get out of the group. But I think that's where it ends for them because not only will they play Brazil, I just don't think that they've, they've got enough about them um, to, to, to know what they want to do against, against these teams, whether they want to play attacking football or whether they want to be defensive. And I don't think they've really worked out which, which is best for them. And I think that leads to results like today where they defend pretty staunchly for 45, 50 minutes go behind, attack really well, and then ultimately seem a bit unlucky to lose in the end. Um, and that's a bit of a soft story, to be honest, because they're, they're neither one nor the other. So, so yeah, I think, I think I would back them to get out of the group at this point. But, yeah, I don't see them going much further than that at this stage. So I just have curiosity now looking at the lines for that Ghana-Uruguay game on Friday. And minus 141 for Uruguay, just that that's seems strong. like a... That yeah. seems like a pretty good spot on Ghana for me. I don't know yeah. if you guys agree there. Minus 141 seems a bit steep. Um, I also think Uruguay is going to struggle against Ghana. And one thing I actually wasn't even thinking about that I actually will think factor in is that the last time these two teams faced at a World Cup, it was the infamous Suarez handball on the goal line uh, that resulted in a penalty the 120th minute of the quarterfinal where Asimo Jian absolutely pelts the crossbar which would have sent Ghana to a semi-final World Cup, the first African nation to get to a semi-final. I think that's not going to factor into the overall way the game is played, but I think that has to factor in somewhere. I feel like the coach, the head, the manager might even bring it up in the dressing room. 
ultimately, regardless of that, I, I think that Uruguay could struggle against Ghana. That only will need a draw from this one, likely. Uh, Alex, let's flip over to you. Your thoughts on Uruguay and Ghana? Yeah, I mean, I had Portugal and Ghana coming out of this group before we started, and I'm actually feeling worse about that despite the position that I'm in right now because I think that Ghana defensively, they really leak goals. And, you know, to Paul's point, Uruguay are going to have to have a proper go at this one because they have to win this match to get to have any hope of going through, right? So they're going to be aggressive. They're going to get forward in numbers. And I think that's going to be a problem for Ghana because we saw it against Portugal too. I mean, Ghana are a threat when they get forward. They had no willingness to do that against Portugal until they went behind. So I think that's going to be a similar thing here where they're just sitting back in numbers and they're not, they don't have the quality to be able to do that. And that's not when they're at their best Uh, in terms of the Suarez handball. I mean, I think Ayu was like the only guy on the team at that time, you know, it probably matters. That's one of those things that probably matters to the fans more than anything, or or like, you know, maybe the nation itself, um, you know, for, in terms of from Ghana's perspective for them, the biggest thing is it's, it's not revenge. It's just getting out of this group. Right. But I think this can be a really fun game. Another game where we see a lot of goals because Uruguay are going to have to open up. I mean, Ghana defensively, not the strongest unit. So, but I just, I'm very happy to see Mohamed Kudus getting his due as well because mm. I watch this guy on a weekly basis and Ajax and he is having an incredible season. He's one of those guys who obviously doesn't get talked about with just based on where he plays, but he's a legitimate superstar in the making and he's going to have a very bright career and i think that this this is a young ghana team that i think in you know 2026 this expanded field they can make a lot of noise then but right now going to this final group match i'm not so sure and you know even korea like this is a team where they're playing portugal now who have their spot wrapped up likely first place wrapped up too i mean maybe they rotate their squad a little bit that actually might hurt you know, Korea more than anything, if they're starting to bring bring in the quality they, that they, they have off the bench. They start um, layout. Yeah, exactly. But, um, but you know, I mean, Korea are going to have a proper go at this too. That's going to be a really fun final match day in that group because we're, I think we're going to see a lot of goals and we're going to see it. The, the standings are going to be all over the place. You know, we're going to see some, some teams in second, different team in second. I think that could flip-flop about five, six different times. So I'm really looking forward to it. So very interesting for final day in that group. And I, I actually... The point I wasn't considering that Uruguay are actually going to be forced, you guys mentioned, to play on the front foot, which might help them, might force them into playing better. So interesting spot there. But enough on the recap. We've done plenty of that. Let's move into tomorrow, where some groups are going to be decided. I am really, really looking forward to the slate for tomorrow. Let's pull up the Betfred odds screen for this one to get started. First of all, Ecuador against Senegal. You would have been... You would have taking some convincing to get me to believe Ecuador would be much the favorite going into the final day against Senegal. But I have to say, I absolutely support that. And for that reason, I don't know. I don't think there's any action for me on this one. And another interesting spot. So, Paul, you weren't on for this one. But Rob Pizzola last week had some very, very bad words about this Dutch team. And they were minus 600 at the time. Well, they've, they've moved all the way down to minus 477 here against Qatar and you're seeing a lot of the handy handicap numbers that were plus two on Qatar disappearing evaporating into plus 1.75 let's go to let's go start with Alex on this one because you are a big Dutch supporter just both let's do both games at the same time here with you what are your thoughts on I mean Netherlands should win here but what are your thoughts on both of these fixtures yeah Netherlands will win um, they will take care of business here. I, I'm not loving Van Hal's comments that he's made, though, in terms of matching Qatar with the 5-3-2. Uh, that being said, 
I mean, he, he said they're going to match them and it's going to be a chess match. You know, sometimes when you have those two, you know, formations, you match another team's formations, it's, it turns into a chess match, this and that. I just don't love the way he's approaching it. But uh, Depay is back and will start this game. He can play at least an hour. They're going to have, it sounds like they're going to have Berghaus come back in as well yeah. as Klassen being in there. So they're definitely going to have a little bit more attacking options with, you know, Depay and, uh, and Gakpo partnering each other up top. That being said, you want to see them have a proper go at it and not actually just sort of know that a draw is going to take them through because they they can really get after this Qatar backline, obviously, and they have the quality to do so, but it just there just hasn't been that same intent there from them. And I'm, you're just sort of sitting here waiting for it. It's like, okay, like when is this coming? When is this coming? Because there's so much attacking quality in this team and they can play really good football under under Van Hal. We've seen that before. You know, we saw that in 2010. So you're just sort of sort of waiting for it right now, but I, I do think they'll handle Qatar uh, no problem. I think we'll see uh, Javi Simons come off the bench too, who's a really bright player right now. Uh, he's that's going to be really fun to see him make his uh, World Cup debut. And um, yeah, in terms of Ecuador Senegal, obviously you've been very impressed with Ecuador. You know the tenacity, their their ability to, to attack with pace on the flanks, and you know, no team has really had an answer for that so far. Um, a stupid end's been fantastic. I'm not necessarily looking to back Ecuador here, though, just because a draw does take them through. So you can see that, you know, the South American side, sometimes you see that. I mean, with all with all nations, I guess, really, right? Like a spot in the knockout stage is on the line. You're going to get a bit more conservative naturally as the game moves on. Um, I don't think Senegal pose enough of a threat going forward to actually break them down and and get the result they need. So I think a draw is a little bit more likely in here than anything. So like I said, I, I, was, I was actually kind of hoping Ecuador would be underdogs in this one and would have had some some sort of play on them but like i said i can't really see anything here i almost convinced myself to take a qatar plus two today but i'm like i, I just cannot put money on this team uh do you see before we move on to paul do you see any way to attack this one betting wise either of these fixtures um i think unders Blanket unders. I just I don't think that netherlands are going to be as aggressive as they should be knowing that a draw is, is good enough for them and not that they're going to play for a draw, but they're not going to leave themselves open for, you know, Qatar to make things very uncomfortable for them by scoring an opening goal or anything like that. So I think this is going to be a couple tense games, which you see that a lot at the World Cup where like the first round of matches or teams are sort of feeling each other out. You have a lot of lower scoring games and then you get into that second round. Things open up a little bit where teams try and position themselves for that final match day. And then we get to that final match day and teams kind of know the situation they're in and what results they need. And when you have one team that's eliminated and another team that is able to go through with a draw tends to play out, you know, a little bit more dull. So I think that that's a good look on both of these. I don't think Ecuador are going to, you know, get too risky with committing bodies forward like they did when they were down one, nothing against the Netherlands. So uh, under on both of these would probably be my look. Yeah. And pulling up the Bedford odds on this under two and a half plus one sixty, I very much feel like Qatar will not score in this game. So, like a 2-0 Netherlands win, I can see them taking their foot off the gas, knowing the job is done with a win. I think that's also a really good spot. I mean, I think they'll take their foot off a 1-0, even. There you go. So let's flow over to Paul. Uh, any way you see to attack either of these fixtures, betting-wise, and any thoughts overall for Group A? My, my first thought was absolutely on the unders for Ecuador versus Senegal. Um, we spoke about last week about how proficient Ecuador are from a defensive standpoint. They're an excellent defensive team, hardly give anything away, um, racked up a whole bunch of nil-nil uh, draws before the tournament, and they've looked pretty solid. I mean, Gakpo's goal 
notwithstanding, which had a very low XG anyway, so it's not like it was a big chance that they, that they had given up. Um, yeah, I just think that they could set up and make it really difficult for, for Senegal. And without Sadio Mane, I don't think Senegal have got that level of ability to go and attack. Like the goals that they scored against Qatar, the first one was a pretty bad defensive mistake. And then you've got a header from a set piece. I don't think, and I think in fairness to Qatar, they missed a couple of chances in that game. Yeah. That was a bit yeah. closer than, certainly closer than the, the Qatar-Ecuador game was in the opening day. So I just like Ecuador. I mean, the only, the only question that in my mind is how confident do Ecuador feel about going and trying to win this group and try and avoid England? I mean, do they feel that confident in their own ability that they're thinking ahead and looking at the draw and saying, we don't want England? Because that, that could obviously impact the performance. And, but obviously, as Alex says, you might want to think about doing that, but in the back of your mind, you're thinking, a draw does this, guys, let's just get through. Um, and, and that kind of line of thinking feeds into what I'm thinking about the Dutch. Just get it done. Just win the group. Get out. Avoid England. And then, I, I, if anything, I would probably have a look at half-time, full-time here. Because the quicker that the Dutch can get it done, the quicker that they can make copious subs, get the pie off the pitch in the second half, yeah. rotate a little bit and keep the bodies fresh for, for the for the knockout stages. So I think just looking at your odds there, Jacob, I think it was minus 150, half-time, full-time in the Netherlands. That, that, that appeals to me because the Dutch will want to get a goal in the net and then just get the um, get the game controlled in the second half and not do, do anything too risky. So that, that to me is an interesting take on that one. Yeah, we'll, we'll pull up the half-time, full-time here. Uh, so Netherlands, Netherlands, minus 150 over there. Um, interesting on those ones. I think the under is definitely in play here. Also, just my further comments on Ecuador, Senegal. I think one goal for either of Ecuador, Senegal is just shut it down. If Ecuador score the goal, I think they will take any win there. And also knowing a draw gets them through, I think, I think like no disrespect to Ecuador, I think they're fully comfortable taking a draw and just getting out of the group. And for Senegal, if they score the first goal, I think they will just shut up shop and know that they have to win that game. So testy, cagey affair. I think the under is definitely in play on both of those. Something I'll be looking at a little bit later. Let's move into the England group. Could not be the England group if things don't go their way tomorrow. They should be advancing, but will it be as the group winners? There could be some teams spoiling the show uh, as they play Wales. And we have the U.S. playing against Iran. Let's start with England here. Then we'll talk about the United States. England should probably beat this Wales team. We'll start with Alex on this one. Actually, let's start with Paul because I remember at the start of the before we started, you had some some choice words about Wales. What are your <laughs> thoughts? And I know you don't like England. Maybe Paul is Scottish, so obviously he's got uh, doesn't really want the best for England. Maybe you I enjoyed that U.S. game as a result, but. Wales maybe even worse. You probably don't like either of these play either of these teams to be honest. I I I am more annoyed at Wales at the moment than I am at England. Um, yeah. Based on me <laughs> tipping them up for Friday morning's game against Iran and them producing one of the most insipid international performances I think I've ever seen. And Alex obviously tipped up Iran. Great shout from him. And Iran did play well. It spells in the contest, but they were they were just gifted the game and at, at times. Possession was just continually fall back for them. I think every single player on the pitch lost the ball during about a 15-minute spell in the second half. Gareth Bale is finished at this level. Aaron Ramsey is finished at this level. Um, there's almost a little bit of um, uh, a Belgian par- parallel here in terms of a coach who maybe doesn't have the strength of will um, in Rob Page to drop guys who are quite obviously not 
good enough for this level anymore. Maybe Martinez has a similar problem with the likes of Hazard and his team. He doesn't have the strength to say, guys, you're not good enough anymore. And that leads to a situation where you've got Gareth Bale walking about the pitch for 90 minutes. And he's probably going to be indulged to walk about the pitch for 90 minutes again here. And if that's the case, England should win this game comfortably. But I, I, I struggle for a betting angle on this one because England are way short. I think England will perform professionally and come out and win the game because they got a, a, a shellicking in the press here for that performance, quite rightly, against against the USA um, on Friday night. The only thing I would say in England's defence is that every team has a game like that in a, in, a, in a tournament usually, a game that they don't necessarily have to win that suits both teams to know that they can come out the other side um, and have no damage done, really. And it kind of felt that England were happy to do that. In fact, it reminded me quite a lot of the the England versus Scotland game at the Euros in, in 2020, yeah. where mm-hmm. England knew they had the checks in the last game at home and they were going to win that. So they were happy just to play out a 0-0 draw. It was very similar in terms of tone. Um, and um, I think Southgate has basically admitted as much. So I think England will come out and win this game. But I, I don't know what kind of game to expect because I really don't know what kind of wheels to expect here. Um, they're not going to win 4-0. But, um, yeah, they may not even try to win 4-0. They may just try and come out of this game with a, a 0-0 or something creditable to end their tournament. Um, and in that case, it makes it difficult to judge. I think England will still beat them anyway. But maybe maybe England are under 2.5. I'm not sure. It's just I, I'm much more likely to look at the other game in this group rather than this one. And we'll go over there in just a second. Uh, Narrative-wise, if you care about this stuff, Wales would love to spoil England's party. You know that because the players pre-tournament even spoke about this match and wanting to ruin England's tournament as much as possible here. So there's just a little bit of something extra there for the Welsh players, whether it is, you know, going for the 4-0 win to get out of this group or just winning 1-0 and just having that on England. I'm sure they'd love that. Alex, let's go to you before we transition to the U.S.-Iran game. Any thoughts on a betting approach for Wales-England? Not not too much. I don't think that uh, – I don't think it's going to be – a difficult game for England. That being said, I don't think it's going to be one where they're really going all out and, you know, leaving it all out in the pitch. They don't really need to be doing anything like that. I think their mindset is already kind of looking ahead to the last 16. It's a, it's another case where they can be a bit more conservative, a bit more cautious here and knowing that like really a draw probably wins in this group. Um, unless Iran are to beat the U S which I possible. mean, we can, we can get to that. It is, it is incredibly possible if they were to play, you know, with that approach. I'm not sure whether they'll play with that approach, just knowing what results they need. But, yeah, I, I don't think that, you know, I mean, I'm sure you're going to see Gareth Bale starting again. Not sure why. Um, I just don't think that Wales have enough creativity in the middle of the park. Now, if Joe Allen is able to start this game, I know he hasn't been fully fit, so he's been limited to just one roll off the bench. I think he does change things a little bit. He's he's not he's not a great player anymore, but he is integral to what they try and do, and he's integral to the, their approach uh, from midfield. So maybe he comes on, and again, you know, there's a the little bit of the rivalry between the two nations. You know, maybe they make things a little bit difficult on England, but ultimately I don't think there's going to be enough there for England to not get the result they need. If, from a betting angle, I mean – yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not particularly eager to bet this. Maybe like if if England takes some money and maybe you know they get even shorter and you can get Wales at like plus one and a half. That's maybe something I'd consider. A bit more of a tense game. Don't think they'll necessarily lose by two. You're at least playing for pride here. But if uh, if that doesn't happen, it's probably something I'm just staying away from. I can see just the only way. Uh, no betting angle for me here. The only way England can really shoot themselves in the foot here. I I, that's, I think that's the only way they blow this game is if Southgate just shoots their own team in the foot. I can very much see him overreacting and starting Henderson 
and Declan Rice in this game playing a low block with two sixes, thinking that, I don't know, that's a problem, not Mason Mount's inability to create in the previous game. I can absolutely see that happening. I'd be, you know what? I'd be more surprised if he didn't overreact and do something uh, <laughs> ill-advised like that, let's say. But let's move into one where I definitely have interest from betting perspective. I know Alex is going to have an interest in this one as well. Let's start with Alex. You were very high on Iran going into this tournament and justified potentially after that win against Wales 2-0 a few days ago. Playing against the U.S., Iran, draw, gets them through. USA win gets them through. How can you approach this one from a betting perspective? Yeah, I mean, I ran plus a half for me, um, you know, or, you know, win or draw, whatever uh, market you're looking to play them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not so much that I think that Iran is a, is a very good team or anything like that, but I think they're a very competent team with a lot of good options at attack. And they're very, you know, there's a lot of familiarity there. Carlos Quiroz knows the guys very well. They've all been playing together for a long time. It's an experienced group. Um, they give teams a lot of trouble. Obviously, the England game didn't quite go according to plan, but we saw a lot more about what to expect from them. But it's also just a lot of it had to do with the group they were drawn into, right? Like you can only play the teams you're you're paired with. And here, I mean, I was just I wasn't super high on Wales, and I'm very down on the U.S. Um, the U.S. haven't been able to create much of anything so far in this tournament. I mean, the England game. Full credit to them for getting that point. It wasn't pretty. Their their main approach is to go through Pulisic in attack. Pulisic is not the guy to rely on in that situation. I mean, he's very good at transitioning the ball, getting you into those areas. But, I mean, that's the point where you kind of have to have another option to lay it off to, someone else to maybe pick out that final ball, someone to pick out that finish. He's just not the answer for them. They don't know who's going to start at striker. I just don't trust Bearhalter to get it right whatsoever against a team that just defends so well. This is, I mean, this is what they're, this is what they're born to do. Like, just sit back. Knowing that a draw gets you through, you have to show no bravery whatsoever. The U.S. are going to have to commit bodies for it. It's going to leave them open. They're already a bit weak defensively, so you're going to leave those gaps for Taremi and Asmoon to run into. Asmoon was able to come off in that uh, Wales game around the 70th minute mark. He didn't start in the first game. He's obviously a little bit rested there. There are going to be opportunities for them. Um, I, I mean, maybe U.S. does get one goal at one point. I think maybe if that happens it'll come after iran has already you know beaten them on the counter at one point so i really like the look for iran here whether i'll actually bet it myself or not i'm unsure just because i already have so much on iran to go through and i ran right. in england to go through and all that so i'm already uh, pretty you know pretty invested here but i i really like uh iran in this spot because this is this is just this just plays right into their hands i mean you're talking about a team that defends so well as, as well as they do and just loves to sit back and hit teams on the counter. And that's exactly what they can do here against a team that I don't think is able to force the issue. So, I mean, I just think it's a bad spot for the U S as well. So I just, I really like this look on Iran tomorrow. Uh, Yeah. I'm on the exact same page as you. I have already taken the plus, the plus half on Iran here, not as much because I'm high on Iran, but definitely down on the U S they played really well against England. I'll give them credit for that, but nil, nil final third. I, can't trust us to get the goals they need to get the result they need out of this game i'm just wondering how they're going to manufacture the goals their most creative asset in the final third christian pulisic their their golden boy and i was in the u.s when they played against wales watching at a bar he he is the golden boy of this team but i just and and you know watch pulisic create the goal that wins them the, gets them out of this group but i, I just the, the final third the creativity of pulisic i just don't quite see it here. I, I just don't see him manufacturing the chance 
that the clear-cut chance that the U.S. need to to win this game. Maybe it's not a clear-cut chance. Maybe, you know, the way Donovan did in 2010 to win that group where it just rebounds to him and he tucks it in last minute, that sort of play could happen. But I just don't see the goals here for the U.S. So I would back Iran to get out of this group as well. But let's go to Paul. Any thoughts to attack this one? You should share sentiments potentially with myself and Alex. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would say that <clears throat> teams like teams like the US who are pretty limited when it comes to their attacking options, if they're going to go out of groups like this, you can't be going into the final match day having to chase the game because they, they, they are incapable of doing it. My, my, my selection for this at a bit of a longer odds price would probably be draw halftime, Iran full time. I could totally see Iran just sitting in for 45 a lot of games in this tournament have been now now at halftime already. I could totally see the first half of that game being a real huff and puff effort from from a from the US, where Pulisic is trying to pull the strings and get stuff working, but but Arana sitting really deep. And then as 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 USA get more desperate going deep into the match, um, the, the Iran picking them off on the counter attack. I could I could definitely see that being being a small stakes play for me in this one. Nothing nothing major. Um, I could but I can I can almost picture the scenario in my head right now about, about that one about how that one could play out. Um, so that would probably be a small state selection for me. The, Iran, completely in their element playing like that. The draw has worked out perfectly for them with those late goals against Wales. They could, that allows them to do this against the US. And they probably couldn't pick a, be, a better team in the tournament to do it against because US just, like, if they were ever going to break down that England team, it would have been in a game like that last week. And, I mean, did they really look as if they were going to break down England at any point? Not really in that game. So, so yeah, I... I um, um, it's pretty similar to you guys, not because I'm massively hot on Iran, but the way that this the, the group has, has laid itself out for them, it could be perfect for them draw half time Iran full time. So I, I like that spot as well. I think it's a really good long shot to take here. If US get desperate second half, you can see Iran hitting them on the counter. Uh, just to finish off, maybe like 30 seconds or so, because I made this title on the YouTube. How can the US win this game against Iran? What will they have to do? to make sure they get the three points in advance from this group. Uh, Alex, 30 seconds, fire away. Score a goal. <laughs> they're going to have to score a goal. How? They're going to have – I mean, they're just going to have to hope for a moment of quality that hasn't come yet. Like, you know, whether it's – I mean, you have to get greasy into those areas. You know, it's going to be ugly if they get it, a ball into the box that maybe takes a couple deflections, lands onto someone's foot. Like, they're going to need a bit of – they're going to need a bit of luck. That's really what it comes down to, and that's just – I mean, that's – that's what Iran wanted to be, right? And just pack the pack the box, and the U.S. are going to have to pack the box as well, and just hope they, you know, ball falls onto someone's foot. And Paul, uh, I, you probably have the same answer. Try your best. Thirty seconds. How can well, they do it? Donovan was the previous generation's golden boy, and he stepped up in at least two major tournaments and scored clutch goals. So if Pulisic mm-hmm. is going to be the golden boy going forward, he's got to do it at some point. So it may as well be now. And I believe Grant- that, to, to, sorry, to that goal, I believe that Algeria still had an outside chance to progress from the group at that point, though, right? Um, with a win, though, they needed a win. So they were pushing on a little bit more at that point. Yeah. I, yeah so whereas Iran, that's not going to be the right because they Good were point. that goal was like I, Algeria was a little bit exposed at the end there, right? I can't imagine a situation where Iran yeah. has, you know, four defenders back on like they're caught, you know, outnumbered on uh, on some sort of break in like the 95th minute. Very good point. And I'll just say my piece here, it will take the individual moment. They almost got it. Pulisic rattled the crossbar in the the first half, I believe, against England. Kind of a bit of a scare there. It's going to take something like that for the U.S., but 
Very intriguing final match day here. I am very, very excited for tomorrow's fixtures and for the rest of the week. And we have you covered on Fine Margin for the rest of the week, recapping all the fixtures and just like this, going through the best bets for the next day. Um, thank you to Paul for staying up for this one a little bit late in his neck of the woods here. We went a little bit over time because we wanted to cover all 12 games that we missed out on. But you can catch Fine Margins every weekday at 4.15 p.m. Eastern Time on the Fine Margins YouTube channel. Like and subscribe there. And on the Fine Margins Twitter account, make sure you've also liked and followed on there. You can't watch it live, no problem. Rewatch anytime on either of those two platforms or catch this in podcast form wherever you like to get your podcast. 30 minutes to half an hour after the live stream finishes. But intriguing match day tomorrow. We'll be covering it all again at this time, at this place tomorrow. So make sure you are here for that. And we'll see you tomorrow for more World Cup betting.